Welcome to the Recombobulator Lab with Jason Gramnai and Chris Dominic. Hey Chris, do you ever get the sense that humanity is sprinting off a cliff toward mass extinction? What with sea levels rising, more homeless polar bears, more bushfires, more singed koala bears? Man, the bears really are feeling the brunt of this stuff. Absolutely. Well, what if I said that a humble car company could fix all our woes? A car company, you say? A car company that doubles as an energy company. A car company that doubles as an energy company? Like it offers massive-sized combustion engines that you fill with petrol to run a city's power? You're clearly on the Bud goes again, Jason. Stone cold sober, my friend. And what I mean is an electric car company who takes the batteries that power their cars, makes way bigger versions of them that can power a city. Oh, right. Uh, and that exists? Like in your tiny Australian imagination? It exists and it's operating and it's called Tesla. Tesla has been powering 30,000 homes in Adelaide, Australia for the past year using a gigantic car battery, sort of, saving residents 116 million Australian dollars and reducing the cost to run the existing power grid by 91%. And it only took them 70 days to set it up and plug the bastard in. Whoa, that's amazing. And what was that little environmental bit for this episode? No, no, it's not just some little environmental bit. I'm here to announce the Tesla, the car company that can power your city. Or Tesla, the energy company that can power your car, is a new sponsor of the lab. So get Find the wheel of a Tesla or power your city with a Tesla. Either way, you're saving all the bears, polar and koala, reversing global warming and doing it all stylishly and silently. Shouldn't we tell Texas about this? Probably. Chris Dominic. Hey, Jason. How you doing? I'm well. How you What's going? going on? It looks looks early there. It's, it, it, it's it does. dark. It does. It is. Yeah. It is. Yeah, but yeah, my yeah. face is a halo of light and hope. It is actually. I, is, is that because you got one of those cool zoom lights? Did you get a zoom light? You did. Oh, okay. That could yeah. be a new sponsor. I thought you were yeah, about to say uh, we that. Should, ooh, we should think about that actually. <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, because I've got one too. I think you know anybody so these days has to have a zoom light, right? That's just it is. You're not cool if you don't have a zoom. I light. wanted it to have some UV features. Like, am I getting tanned while I'm sitting yeah. here? You know, is it yeah. bringing out? Something the... tells me that's that's probably not right. going to get. That's not going to pass the uh, whatever <laughs> yeah. your version of the FDA, FDA is. That's no, right. probably not. Why am I blistering? Yeah. <laughs> Although you guys are used to not having an ozone hole. Oh, I guess that's right. old news. No, that's, yeah, that's true though. <laughs> you still have some problems with that, huh? Okay. Yeah, it's mm, awful. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> We're about to have this interview with yeah. Kendall Johnson, the soccer pro. And I thought to myself, you know what I need to do, nope. Jason? Nope. I need to get us in the mode of elite athletes. Elite like, athletes. Like you and me? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yay. No, all right. So I got ready elite yep. athletes and I got six of them. Yep. And they're men and women and there's Americans and Australians. Easy peasy. Okay. There yep. we go. <clears throat> you ready? Yep. Are, you, are, you, are you sure you're ready? I'm ready. <laughs> okay. Here we go. All right. Who did Sports Illustrated call the greatest female athlete of the 20th century? Give you a little hint. She won silver medal in the heptathlon at the 1984 Summer Olympics. She won gold and bronze medals in the long jump in 88 and 82. And, sorry, 88 and 92. And she is the current heptathlon world record holder. American woman. Yeah. Oof, that's hard. Mm. Um, uh, not a joiny cursor? Yeah, that's oh, her. Really? We got it. 
Jackie Joyner. Jackie Joyner Kersey. Yay! Yeah, you did it. Nice. God, that's so. So that you you actually did know about American track and field people a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. Okay. Yeah, she was pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, two. Ready? Yep. Who has been the only player to sweep two tennis grand slams? Hint: He was a lefty. Rod Laver. That is it. <gasps> I'm two from two with really old, useless facts. Yes. Really? Come on, I think Rod Laver and Jackie Joyner Kersey are more than useless facts. No, 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 no. I know. It's just not at the top of my memory. It's well, six o'clock in the morning okay. here, and I haven't had a coffee I, yet. I, oh, that's not good. That's not good. I'm impressed that you you sound the way you do. That's that's pretty I'm good. I'm on tea All at right. the moment. <laughs> tea. Oh, okay. Well, tea's mm. tea's halfway there. What yeah. kind of tea are you having? It's ginger. ginger. Like the brain oh. up. So not caffeine though? No. It's for another oh. episode. Oh. Oh, okay. It's, oh. Yeah, but it's exciting. It's good. Okay, so two from two. Uh, I'm killing it. Two for two. Yes, you're killing it. Here we go. Number three. Who had the most goals of any soccer player, male or female, in international competition until that record was broken in 2013? You know, I'm going to... Uh, mm. Pele? Uh, no, it could be. This could person be was associated with World Cup championships in 91 and 99 and Olympic gold medals in 96 and 2004. Okay, so not Diego Maradona. <laughs> it was up to his eyeballs in cocaine at that point. <laughs> <laughs> so true. Uh, so true. I think oh, he was working I'm, on weight gain <laughs> at that point. <laughs> I'm terrible. Soccer, wait. Oh my god. Uh, it's mm. but it's not the usual suspect. It's not the it's not that English bloke because he never really. She oh, she retired she. from the national oh, team American, in 2004. Was it the American, was it the American captain? It's, no. Well, she retired in 2004 with 158 goals, Whoa. the most by any player, male or female. Okay. But her record was broken by countrywoman Abby Wambach in 2013. Oh my gosh. So who was the first mm. person? No, well, you're supposed to guess. Oh, well, I don't know. I don't know. Okay, it's Mia Ham. Oh my gosh, that's so cool. Mia Ham. Yep. That is she's, remarkable. Yeah. She, she's she's, yeah. she's great. I saw her this one time on a, a show where they were just kind of goofing around with her, the Denver Broncos, mm. and they were like, "Hey, just you know, show us what you got." So she like blasts a football through the you know like a field goal, yeah. right? She kicks like a thirty-five year old field goal, wow. and and then it, they were all like going, "Wow, you know, all this stuff." And at one point, she's like, "Well, I can do it with my left foot too." So. <laughs> She just goes up there and just blasts one with her other foot. And they're all just kind of looking at each other like, what? You know, because in their world, nobody's double-footed. That's but in a, soccer, it's double-footed. essential, you know. It's called ampidextrous. I thought you were a language guy. Double-footed. Double-footed in one sense, like a medical condition. Like, oh, God, I'm double-footed. I better get one removed. Yeah. Yeah. But can I quickly ask, just let's dwell on that stat- statistic, because I thought um, it would have to have been a male because of the sheer volume of games played at that level. But right. obviously right. not. And the American women's football renaissance the 1990s was a huge moment wasn't it with the world cup yeah yeah so the 90s and actually i mean they've really been on fire since the 90s and they really haven't ever stopped and it's really interesting to see how our men continue to kind of struggle in international championships but our women are like what two standard deviations away from everyone basically i mean there's a few other teams in their league really but not i mean Mm. the last the last uh competition they were in i it was like watching a hot knife through 
through butter. Oh, really? I mean, it, they, they, oh, they scored like level. they scored like 13 goals. They got in trouble basically with some of the international community because they scored so many goals in a game, right? And they kept celebrating and stuff. Oh, and people right. were like, "Hey, that's not that's right. not." Uh, and they're like, "Man, we're just showing you what we got," you know? Wow. So I know it's interesting. Okay, cool. number four. Yes. Yep. All right, you're doing great. You're like, whose mind-blowing cricket test batting average of 99.94 has been cited as the greatest achievement by any sportsman in any major sport? So Donald Bradman. That is correct. God. That was, I figured that was an that easy one. That was an easy one. There's no, <laughs> no way one, you were going to. No one in no, America I, listening to this is going to know what I'm talking about. Uh, no, like they just heard test batting average and they went, what? wait a minute, there's a word. Why is there a test in front of the word batting average? <laughs> All right, this is one for the Americans. Who who has the best clutch shooting record in the NBA every year since 2012? A little hint. He's, he's currently shooting 60.3% from the field, 53.3% from three-point range, and 100% from the foul line in clutch situations. Oh, my gosh. Um, I don't know anything about basketball, even though my eldest son lives and breathes it. Mm-hmm. Griffin, you take Damian Lillard. No. Yeah. To all my Portland brothers and sisters, I'm so sorry. <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm renouncing my Portlandishness. Wow, that was a bad. Uh, is he that good? Yeah, he he has blossomed. I mean, he's always been awesome in this space, but he's he's a real. He's like watching a video game is that character. Right? Just a, yeah, he just puts up. He, he shoots from anywhere and makes it. It's really weird. I mean, in a in an amazing yeah, way. Yeah. Um, him and Steph Curry are these two guards that if you watch them, you don't really understand what you're seeing. Right. <laughs> They're just, I didn't even understand how they do what they do. So, okay, last one. She is one of the greatest skiers of all time. Lindsay behind. (gasps) Did I get it? Yes. (laughs) It's the only skiing name I know. (laughs) That's so funny. She's one of the greatest skiers of all time behind three Olympic medals, four World Cup titles, 82 World Cup victories, and two World Championship gold medals. Oh my God. Can so I, you just, she's just famous, basically, is well, what you're no, saying. No, no, I'm, I'm not cheating, but it was weird. Yesterday, um, I was on the social media watching my, basically my twin, Hugh Jackman. A lot of people get Hugh and I mixed up because I'm such a good singer and a dancer. Oh, but he boy. was skiing with Lindsay Vaughn. Mm. Really? Yeah, so that's why I knew it. Sorry. Now that now that now that she's retired, he can hang with her, maybe. Yeah, um, yeah exactly. God. How do I, wait a minute, hold on a second. Isn't that how strange? do Australians learn how to ski? Oh unbelievable. What? Is, well, you're not gonna go skiing on Ayers Rock. I mean, oh, come on. God, where to start with this? Um no, you're right. Um we what do you, have, you like <laughs> a big pop over to Switzerland? What? No, 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 no. So we have a ski hill here. It's seven hours away. It's wet and brutal. Or we can fly to New Zealand because they've got a bit of skiing. Oh, they've got some they've got So some there's skiing. a bit there. And then what's happened now for another episode, it's so crazy. This small town in northern Japan called Niseko mm. is now mm. just being inundated by Aussies. So there's more Aussies in. It's like the Aussies in Whistler. If you go to Whistler oh, ski, oh, it's yeah, all yeah, Aussies. Yeah. God, Whistler is so nice. It is. I love Whistler. So it's we've learned that we figured out how to ski by, yeah, we do have to travel a bit. But yeah, we're skiers, mate. Come on. Uh-huh. Are you a big skier? I love it. Really? No, no. I used to go to Mount Hood all the time. Oh, oh yeah, you did. I remember took that. took the kids at You took Sunday the boys morning. too. Oh, yeah, yeah, so yeah I remember, I remember, yeah, I remember I love that. It. Yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. So, hey, let's get to our interview with Kendall Johnson. Joining us today is Kendall Johnson, professional soccer player for the Portland Thorns, the Western Sydney Wanderers, and Sky Blue FC. Currently, she has a performance improvement coaching and consulting practice called Arrow Living and is the host of the Arrow Living Female Athlete Podcast. Welcome, Kendall. Welcome, Kendall. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. 
excited to be here. It is so great to meet you. You are so, just like Chris and I, you've had Australian experience, you've had US experience, you're born and bred Portland, so we feel like you're one of us. So we're so excited to learn more about you. I wanted to start with, I was just looking back through photos and one of them particularly was a, a photo of you going down pretty hard and the tagline is, want a crash course in overcoming fear of failure and how to let go. And then in parentheses, it says, but actually, please don't, like really don't. It's not worth it, I promise. I was so intrigued. I wanted to kind of understand a little bit more about what was going on there. Yeah. So when I was playing overseas in Australia, I played in Sydney, which is why I'm very jealous that you're right by Bondi Beach right now. Can I just say, we've started the interview poorly because Kendall, I just annoyed Kendall no end with a quick view of Sydney. And I'm really sorry, Kendall. Yeah. I'm having huge withdrawals and I'll forgive you eventually. As long as when I come and visit, you let me stay with you, then we'll be good. No, no. But even better than that, Uh you'll be staying with me. But one of our sponsors is Qantas. So you'll be flying the red kangaroo down here as soon as they open up. So Kendall, mi casa e tu casa and mi airline e tu airline. That is terrible. That Spanish is really coming along. I'm Australian (laughs) Spanish, man. I don't know. Sorry, Kendall. Wow. I interrupted. When you were playing down here. Honestly, the only reason I'm doing this podcast is so that I can come and stay with you when I'm (laughs) there. That's the secret, actually. The secret is just people know that Jason lives on Bondi Beach. So we got that out of the way. Thanks for having me. Have a great Okay, bye. Uh, yeah, so I was playing overseas in Australia and I got tackled from behind and hit my head on the ground and didn't realize at the time, but after looking at footage, it's pretty clear that I blacked out, but no one came onto the field to assess me and the ref just kind of like had me get up and I kept playing. And at the time, I, when I was playing, I was feeling like out of it, but it wasn't anything super strong. And I have a history of migraines that it started when I was young. And anytime I headed a soccer ball, not anytime, but sometimes my eyes would get super blurry and it would turn into a strobe light and then I'd get a massive headache and I just kind of learned to play through it. So for this one, I was like, you know, it's not that bad. I can play through it. And then it wasn't until a couple games later that I just felt like so out of it. Everything was slow, super emotional. And that's when I really took myself out and was told I had a concussion. And that was the beginning of my now five year long concussion recovery journey. Wow. Wow. That is extraordinary. And what a theme and a topic like, you know, as you know, when you lived here, you know, rugby is the game we play here. We don't wear helmets. And there's we're now part of that big, I think, Boston based research around I think it's called CTE which is a whatever that the the sort of post-athletic you know we in rugby particularly continual head injuries and head knocks and so wow what a what a thing you've experienced but then I'm assuming with your arrow business are you are you working with other athletes through that experience or how does that work yeah so I am super into the emotional spiritual and mental side of being human and just because I've been an athlete my whole life I feel like I can relate to athletes and kind of going through my own experience with this concussion I realized how much sports are very much focused on your physical body and performing and seeing what you can get out of your body with a I believe a strong neglect of the emotional and spiritual aspects that when I I believe that when you tap into those you can become an even better athlete and so it's kind of stemmed from my own learnings and what I felt like I didn't have growing up and yeah I work with athletes athletes who often honestly a lot of the stuff we talk about isn't even athletics because I feel like in sports it's you're so focused on you're kind of a commodity especially in the professional world and I really love just helping athletes see that they're an athlete 
as they are without. You know what's so interesting about that is we just, as you know, because you were, we were talking about this before the show started, we just talked with Steve Solomon down in Australia. And one of the things he said after we asked him what was one of the problems, because he had these really big highs in London, he had these really lows in Rio. And we were like, well, if you put your finger on what was it? And he said, you know, I realized I didn't have my friends around me and that made a big difference to me. And I didn't have intellectual stimulation and that made a big difference to me. And I remember thinking he was going to say something like, you know, I, my coach there was better than my coach there. Or, you know, my, uh, my I was doing more reps up there or something. He didn't talk about anything physical at all. Yeah, I feel like there's just so many layers that I've unpacked. I've always kind of been an incessant learner, but this one really just kind of broke me open because soccer was my life. And I, growing up, knew that I was going to be a professional soccer player, that I was going to play in a World Cup and Olympics. I haven't done that, but it was just this knowing. And it, I was, you could call it naive, but I genuinely feel like that's what I was meant to do. And so it was a, I had to learn who I was without soccer and not identify with all these external things and actually find my worth from just being me and that would probably be the biggest thing yeah i'm sure it's it's fascinating the um the issue whether you've left this it's so it's so fascinating the knowing that people have and you sort of have to have this knowing to pursue the thing that you're doing so when it gets taken away from you through injury there is this huge this is (laughs) recombobulation discombobulation there's this huge moment of like whoa who am i so i find that fascinating as you might have experienced here in australia we are sports mad we are so on sport and we I think we discard sports people after they've retired they've lost their thing and very few have some sort of a career afterwards related to the sport which might be healthy in a way they go and reinvent themselves in different ways but I find the the air that field you're speaking of so fascinating particularly the spiritual piece because I think as you say Mm -hmm. I was sort of shocked when I was reading your biography there's this language that really jarred me which was in uh, it said uh, Portland Thorns FC acquired the rights to Johnson from Sky Blue FC and I'm thinking, oh my god, it's absolutely commoditized. Like, right, right. They've acquired right. the rights to you. Um, but right, she's an asset. Oh my gosh, oh shocking. Um, but from a spiritual aspect, we, you know, you talk about professional sports, talk about visualization, they talk about mindfulness, mind training. But I think where you're going is maybe bigger than that about what we're here to do on the earth and that those sorts of themes. Is that true? Yeah, I would say I. Where do I even start with this? I, <laughs> one-on-one. We're simple people. <laughs> my concussion, I initially viewed it as, oh, it's my concussion. There's, like, I was very looking for the Western doctors. I saw, I've seen over 30, 40 specialists and try and help fix me and work on my brain. And then I started learning about how, oh, why did I get my concussion in the first place? And before that, I was struggling with energy issues and my body was trying to speak to me but because I'm so driven and stubborn and had this vision I wasn't listening so I genuinely believe my concussion happened to kind of be like okay she's not listening to these little signals so we're gonna slap her in the face and make her have to actually address what's what's underneath it I don't even think just whatever gender you are we have like Uh both female and male energy and in athletes and just our patriarchal society we're very much we reward people for working hard in structure and grinding which is great but there's such a neglect of the passiveness and the creativity and the flow and I think when we 
find what balance works for us, then that's what makes us play our best. And for me, before my concussion, I had this mentor who was incredible in the sense that he believed in me. He was one of the few people at the time who had as big of dreams as I did, but he had me fill out these notebooks. I have like 10 of them. And every single day I would write down exactly what I'm doing. I'd have three intentions. I'd write down my affirmations. I'd do a pre-game work, uh, workout journal, a post game. And it was just so structured that I genuinely believe that I was so in my masculine that that's kind of what caused me to burn out because I was just listening to other people versus okay, what actually feels good to me. That's mm-hmm. so, so insightful. That's fascinating. I love that, the Very idea that, that the feminine and the masculine energy is, is within all of us. But as you say in the patriarchy, one gets diminished, one gets highlighted. Well, Kendall, doing some research for this interview today, I came across some really interesting statistics. Sky Blue FC, one of your first professional clubs, had the lowest average attendance in the league. The Western Sydney Wanderers, who you played for, averaged about like 6,000 a game, which was more than that. I think I think Sky Blue was like 3,000 a game. The Portland Thorns have by far the highest attendance at 20,000 a game. The disparity between the three got me thinking. Do the different environments create different pressures on performance? I mean, that was a really different place to play, all three of those places, I would think. Yeah, I definitely think they do. For me, when I got drafted to New Jersey and it was the lowest attendance, I was just so stoked to be in the professional ranks and to be on the team with people I idolized my whole life growing up. Personal thing, but I would say most people at that level like thrive off of being in that big stadium and it's just it's just adds to the energy and the emotion of the just the experience is so different and I think definitely the crowd it almost like every time people come to Portland they typically would play their best game just because they're so hyped up about the the crowd and the environment and so yeah I do definitely think that it's different. Can I ask, therefore, if you look at COVID-19, we've seen professional sports continue, but with no audience, which is super, super weird. So yeah, I watch rugby, I was watching Wales play England, it was like, no one. And I think in some circumstances, they had they had crowd noise pipes through the speakers. How would you feel as a professional athlete? Would that be really, really strange? Or would you not? I mean, it just would seem yeah. like a practice session. I kind of had an experience of that, not that relates to that when I've, I've said I just started up training at this really it's like an insane soccer facility here in Walnut oh. Creek and I've been going during the day and there's no one else there and it's this massive facility with all this high tech mm. technology and the first day I went there like there's ball machines the balls like eject out to you so you can it's like you have yeah. another person and I was all by myself and I was like this is so weird how dark it is <laughs> and how it, I just really didn't like it. But then I kind of realized that part of it is kind of nice because it brings you back to why you started playing in the first place. Like I didn't play for, yeah. yeah, I saw on the TV, like thousands of fans for the US national team. And I was like, I want that. But just the joy and finding mm. that without a crowd and doing it for yourself, I think can be a really rewarding thing or even a reminder. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And when you think about these three places you've played in, Portland, New Jersey, and Sydney, obviously Sydney was the greatest destination ever and you're going to come back okay. and become an Australian okay. citizen. Okay. No, no, but really, how, how was how was those three cities? They're so different. I mean, I mean, I, we lived in Portland, Oregon for 10 years to build a business. We love this, this, the football scene. That was awesome. But yeah, tell 
tell us about your experience. I'm not kidding when I say like I'm obsessed with Australia. Like, <laughs> really? <laughs> I, I want to potentially move there. I lived in Wollongong. Yeah, I, I teach at Wollongong University. Yeah. Nice. So I was like walking distance from the beach and that's just my vibe. Just laid back, barefoot, trying to surf. Yeah, all of them are great. For me, Portland was so special because I grew up actually playing at every single level in my hometown, like club, high school, college, pro. And the high school that I went to was literally across the street from the street stadium. And so having my fan, my family at every game and my grandma had this one spot that was reserved for her. And after every so game, cool. we would go around and wave to the crowd and I got to look up and wave to oh her. My God. So that was for me super special. So when you'd come in, in Portland, there's probably a bunch of people in the stands that like, have known you for a long time who like go crazy. Aside from that, something that I would say that makes Portland really special is just the fans are so on board and they're incredible and they have just I've talked to one of the people who her name's Sunday White and she's the leader of all the chants in the Rose City Riveters section yes, and yes. I actually interviewed her I never put it on my podcast because I, I lost my phone but <laughs> she, no. uh, <laughs> she was just talking about how they're all friends in a community. And if they need someone to, to hire a carpenter, they have someone who can oh. do that. And they just built this really cool community of yeah. people. So I feel like that's such a strong foundation. And they organize to have the, I'm blanking on the names, like just the, what are the things, the signs that they make? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the TIFOs. TIFOs, yeah. As a foreigner moving to Portland, because you don't have major league football, Major League Baseball. You don't have the Major League sports. I remember having yeah, maybe it was with we just, well, we got basketball and soccer. And, what so, got. and then the soccer was just incredible. I think in Sydney you might have experienced the viewing public is it's so disparate. We have women's cricket, mm. men's. We, I mean, what's great, and I think it was when you were here, is the women's professional sport really lifted. So we had AFL Women's League, Aussie Rules Football Women's League. We've got New South. We've got Rugby League Women's League, Rugby Union Women's League. Obviously, the soccer Women's League is fantastic. But it's there's so much to choose from. You end up with the, without a concentration of a community to create, which is kind of a shame. But back to the original question. So the Portland thing was particularly special. You've got the family, you've got Lincoln High School. You could walk from Lincoln High School and see the stadium you would end up playing in, family, grandparents, the whole bit. And then New Jersey was a different experience, but you're playing in the majors. And then Australia was like, we're 10,000 miles away from the world, mate. You must have thought you're on Mars. But it was fun, I suppose. Yeah, I actually, I'm obsessed with Australia, but I don't think it's obsessed with me because the first time I was there playing, I had these really terrible stomach pains and would be rolling oh. around in the middle of the night just in like very strong sensations. And I told the team doctor that I wasn't feeling well. And he said, well, why don't you wait? There's only six weeks left of the season. So why don't you wait till you get back and get a food, te- like a FODMAP mm. test? Oh, yeah, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Right, right. But I knew it wasn't that. I've had food stuff. And so I decided to seek out my own person. And I was about to fly from Sydney to Perth, but I got a call from the doctor saying, hey, your white blood count or some blood count was off. Yeah. I think you might wow. have honestly, the thing that she first said was, I think do you, you might have syphilis and I was like, that's not possible <laughs> if that's the reason that I'm not playing then that is going to be really embarrassing but I'll deal with it. Yeah. <laughs> we got Calling home is going to be a little uncomfortable. Yeah. I'm going to call my parents and tell them that I'm not playing because I have syphilis. Uh, but I ended up having appendicitis. And because it was oh. going on for so long, I had to be hospitalized for eight days. No. And, oh, we need a redo. Uh, You've got to come back. Come I back. 
really want to. Oh, so we'll oh we, wow. we need a redo, definitely. What's the next stage? And Yeah, so I I still plan on doing my mentoring stuff, but it is okay. like my priority is to focus on my come. I like to call it a come forward versus a come back because I want to move there forward. There you go. That's good. With everything I've learned throughout my concussion journey and kind of what I was talking about, I would say before my concussion, I was a very mind person and focused on, I don't think this is a bad thing, but we t- you hear a lot about mindset and how important it is. But mm-hmm. I learned a lot about like somatic work, which is feeling into your body and how trauma is stored in your body. And so I've kind of shifted a lot to really tuning into what my body is telling me. And I think there's mm. this misconception about athletes that we're super in tune with our bodies, whereas I actually mm-hmm. feel like we're really in tune with being able to perfect a skill, but the ability to tune in to what we're actually feeling versus disassociate to achieve mm. something is a very different skill. And so in learning that, I've been really practicing like showing up and noticing how my body's feeling when I'm working out because I still get symptoms. I can give you an example of something that I do. I have this real I'll give you an example example of something that I learned about myself just the other day when I was training at this facility and the ball machine was coming at me and this is like the second week I've been there and I noticed that whenever someone comes by or I can hear someone my body just gets a ton Mm. of energy kind of Mm. in the past I would view it as anxiety and be like oh I want to make sure I'm doing well but I had this shift of oh no this is just anxiety is energy like any emotion is energy Mm -hmm. so can I use this energy to focus even more on the thing that I'm doing and kind of use it as this power up versus me kind of shutting down. And so That's brilliant. the yeah. way that I approach my training is just so different and kind of, to me, more fun and intentional. And so I'm excited. Even if I don't come back, I think just honoring, I know I can, but the desire honoring it is just really important to me. Oh, yeah. That's so good. And I love the language because I think feel language is so important in life, right? So it's not a comeback, yes. it's come forward. I feel that's massive and that the evolution. I hope you've enjoyed the journey because that's actually the, the thing. <laughs> the stuff I was trying to do wasn't helping. So I slowly kind of followed the things that felt that I felt a pull to, which happened to be more energetic, spiritual type stuff that I was seeing actual results and it kind of brought me back to oh I can heal myself I don't need to rely Mm. on someone else Mm -hmm. and that's kind of full circle to okay I'm my own guru which is so (laughs) good I like that I'm my own guru that is brilliant well well, speaking of my own guru if you if anybody wanted to reach out to you uh, because they wanted you to be their guru uh, how would they do that well firstly I would (laughs) teach them to be their own guru This is a terrible sales pitch. This is an awful sales pitch. I'm just going to start over. No, no, no. It's going to be funny. (laughs) First of all, Chris, I would do the opposite of what you're doing. Well, Chris, you've gotten me entirely wrong, and I've spent an entire half hour with you. So... Uh, that's why you do interviews though to get to know people and it's true it's It's so good yeah if they wanted to work with me i have a website uh called arrowliving.com and i actually am just getting back into writing a lot more not a lot more but i've kind of felt like i wanted to go a different direction i have writings on there about my stories and podcasts and then also my mentoring Mm -hmm. service is on there too that's great i think yeah what your experience is so valuable to others coming up through the ranks and it's I've got an 18-year-old and a 16-year-old and there's people there who are now making sort of under 19, under 21 Australian cricket, for example. And your story is like, okay, so how 
their progression through the ranks and what happens when they retire and all of that is in the back of my mind thinking you really want support structures and or for them to get some you know acquire the knowledge for themselves to understand what that journey is going to be like and maybe they don't make it or maybe they do and so yeah I think what you're doing is super valuable absolutely thank you so much for being on the show we wish you the very best in your consulting practice in your coaching practice and in your come forward very good luck to you so good talking to you today uh, we'll see you thanks Kendall thank you. thank you so much for having me <laughs> see you in Sydney Bye. Bye. Well, the next time you and I are whining about any of our aching joints or whining about trains, <laughs> one of us just needs to go, uh, what would Kendall think? You oh know, I mean, like, that's a whole different level of overcoming an obstacle. Wow. Yeah. What an amazing story in that journey from Portland to uh, New Jersey. Is that sky blue? And then Sydney? Yeah. Yeah, like exactly. around the world, obviously uh, had some time mm -hmm. here, which was so lovely to connect with someone who spent some time in Sydney. But what a journey, emotional, spiritual as an elite athlete. Incredible. Absolutely. Didn't you think it was interesting how she talked about how she was underserved in the area of really being in touch with herself at a deeper level? It was, sounded like what Steve talked about when he, Steve Solomon talked about yeah. when we were talking with him about how he realized how important it was to have family with him and, and to have intellectual stimulation. I just thought that, that that overlap to me was really interesting. Yeah, it's really, it is because if you think about professional sport, it's often the, the physical capabilities <clears throat> And if they go into the mental stuff, it's more like visualization or mm -hmm. sort of trying, staying in the moment. But this sounds like one level deeper. And it's, oh, yeah. some of it's pragmatic, like having people around you, supporting you, just family pieces, you said, and uh, having healthy distractions and those sorts of things. But this, I think her, she went one level deeper again around really soul level, like, what's, oh, yeah. what's my role on planet Earth sort of stuff. Which yeah, was awesome. she definitely got there. Yeah. Uh, man, we wish her the best. Yeah. Well, we're happy to be getting some new a new interest in people sending us ideas on what they'd want us to cover. That's really been fun. And we really want to thank you guys again for being so supportive that we had a lot of fun. Uh, we love hearing from you. Please continue to give us those five-star reviews and pass us along to people you think might hear us and like us. Uh, and we will see you next week. Bye, everybody. Bye, everyone. Joining, joining us at the, the Recombobulator, Recombobulator Lab, Lab with, with Chris, Chris Dominic, Dominic and Jason, Jason Graham-Nine. Graham Catch, Catch you next time. time.